Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to worship, whether you're in the house, you're on the line, or uh, online, or maybe you're down there at Tree Worth or in the sanctuary. I am just so glad uh, that you are here. And as you can tell, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling fine. We're doing this out of precaution, just trying to lead by example. I was exposed last week uh, to someone who has been tested positive, but I have no symptoms. I've not been tested positive. I, I'm doing great, and I, I hope you are as well. Hey, you know what we're about to do if you've been around here for the past few weeks? I'm about to introduce myself, and you're going to bring it. You're going to bring it with energy and with gusto, and, and not for my sake, but for the sake of the people sitting around you, for those that are new, that are here for the very first time in the house or online or wherever they are just to make them feel welcome okay so uh, get ready here it comes uh, hello everybody uh, my name is Rick I am a sinner saved by grace and you say I'm gonna trust that was awesome I know that was great uh, let's go to our God in prayer before we open the word uh, so God here we are again we come here to worship you and to be in your presence and we ask you to speak and we ask once more, God, for you to show us the knowledge of your will for our lives. Uh, for in this moment, and the next moment, and the next moment, and the next moment, the next step for our lives, God. And then you would give us the power to carry it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're in this series that we are calling Growing Together. And what we're doing is we're learning how to live as followers of Jesus. And this whole series is founded on the promise of Jesus that he will give us power to experience transformation in our lives. And what we're learning is that we need a very doable, non-legalistic, practical way of life, not just another smorgasbord, a buffet of church programming, but I need a training plan. I need a real way of life that every day will keep me connected to Jesus it's why experiencing his power in my life. Now, step one was I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender my life and my will to God. And that, that is just not once and done. It's an everyday sort of thing. Uh, step number two is that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to think up. And then I'm going to saturate this mind of mine that has all these, these thoughts, these ideas, these, these desires always going through it, sometimes for the ill, that I'm going to saturate my mind with the Word of God, the greatest thoughts in the world from the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. And step number three is I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for the knowledge of God's will for my life, that God will give me the power to do it. Now, those first three steps, I can do just God in me. I can do God in me. But step four is a transition from me to we. Because you'll notice this whole thing is about growing together. Uh, we cannot grow on our own. Uh, AA has a saying that goes like this. Uh, I can get drunk on my own, or we can get drunk on our own. But we get sober together in the church. See, I can sin on my own. But I experience God's healing. I experience God's wholeness when we come here in context together. Now, step four, we're titling this message here, step four is growing in love, growing together in love, and that I grow, and love in, and that I'm going to get involved in a community where I'm going to get as real as I can and trust that people are going to love me even while I'm being real. And in this community, they're going to get real, and I'm going to learn to love them as well. And what I'm going to do in this community, what I've been practicing in my life thus far that is in surrender, 
and Bible study and prayer. I'm now going to practice them together with other people in the group. It's called community is a shared life. That's what step four is really. It's about a shared life. Now, in the development of children, they've learned about something that's in the natural form of their development. It's called parallel play. And parallel play is when a child has the capacity at the age of two or three, is about when this happens, uh, you put them in the room, age two and three, with another two and three-year-old, and they can play side by side in the same room, but not ever play together. And that is because of where they are in their life, the characteristic of this egocentric behavior, this egocentric mindset. Uh, They do not have the ability to to de-center themselves, to put somebody else first so they can play in the same room, do what they want, when they want, with no consideration for the other person. Now, how this phase lasts, how long it lasts depends on on where you live uh, geographically and what your cultural experiences are growing up. In the Midwest, uh, all those studies show that where communities, there's a high emphasis on community and togetherness. Uh, A child usually grows out of this by the age of five or six. Uh, But in places where there's an emphasis on individualism, and competitiveness. Uh, Sometimes it's much longer before someone grows out of this. And we all know the millennials, uh, they're never going to grow out of it. Uh, Just kidding, millennials. You know that we love you. Uh, But the truth of the matter is this. Uh, We were made for each other. Uh, We need each other. Uh, We are not going to grow spiritually. Uh, We're not going to heal. We're not going to become holy If we just try to do this thing on our own, it is in community uh, that we really grow in our faith. Now, there's a word in the scripture that kind of describes this idea. It's kind of a a, kind of a a rare kind of sounding kind of word in the Greek. I already have it there in your message notes. It's called kononia. Say that with me. Kononia. Kononia. And in the scriptures, in the first verse of Acts 2.42, the word is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, that word fellowship, even, it's kind of an odd word. You don't, you don't hear that word much outside the church. Uh, it's kind of a churchy word. Uh, in fact, you don't even hear it much here inside of this church because it's a churchy word. It's the idea of, of churchy talk with churchy inside jokes, and you're having churchy snacks in a churchy setting that kind of excludes people that are not on the, the inside of the language. But in the early church, it was just the opposite. See, in the early church, they had this profound experience of honesty, of reconciliation, of barrier-transcending life in community. And it was so profound, this fellowship they had in their life, they had to come up with a name to describe it. So they adopted this little word called koinia, a little borrowed, unknown, used, very rarely used Greek word, koinia, to describe the fellowship. Because they just had this great desire to have everybody understand the power of this community they experienced where a group of people came together, and they practiced worship together. Uh, They prayed together. They read the Bible together. Uh, They they served together. They confessed together. They held each other accountable. And it was such a powerful kind of community that anyone who was able to get involved in that kind of community, they never felt alone. Uh, They just never felt like they were on their own. 
uh, such as they find themselves in a time of great need or crisis. I mean, their world is turned upside down, experiencing loss in their life. And then out of nowhere, the members of their community, they just kind of show up. They, at the door with food and meals and cards and, and uh, visitation, and they would bring their, their own gifts and errands, and they would try to help them out all in the name of love. That is koinonia. Uh, it's when someone experiencing some sort of financial hardship, they lost their job, uh, they lost their house, uh, they had the inability to take care of, of their financial responsibilities in their life where other brothers and sisters in Christ in their community show up and they say, hey, listen, I, I'd like to help. In fact, it would bring me great joy if you would let me help. And then without ever asking, just generosity flows into their household through their kononia, through their community. That's kononia. Uh, kononia is like when somebody finds himself living their life off the path in the community. Uh, someone who needs a little gentle correction. They're on a path that's leading to personal destruction or to the destruction of their own family. And someone says, hey, listen, I love you too much to let that happen. And then they very gently speak the truth in love into their life to help them get back on the path. That's koinonia. It's like years ago when, when Pathway Church was a small church, only had one worship time at 11 o'clock. I, I could walk up before worship and sit in my chair and watch everybody come in and I, I would check roll. I, could, I knew where everybody was seated when I looked around the room. And, and one weekend, I, I walked into worship, and I sat down, and I looked out, and things looked so odd and strange. Uh, nothing looked right. And they had these smiles, everyone on their faces, really kind of like mischievous grin. And then it hit me. They had got together and had community and plotted against me. They had flipped the room. Everybody was sitting exactly in the opposite place in the room. Uh, that's what you call koanitis. That's the evil part of community. No, really, it was wonderful. It was joy. It was, it was, a, it was a wonderful thing for everyone, and I enjoyed it just as well. See, fellowship... Uh, it is this practice of engaging together with people and all these wonderful things of prayer and, and of worship and, and, a, and of uh, a confession and accountability and things that allows you to grow and you do them uh, with other believers. And it's all for the purpose of growing in community, but also for blessing those who are on the outside of the community. And this thing called fellowship is not me doing things that I've not already been doing. I'm not adding more to my plate. No. I'm going to do the things that I have been doing, that is worship and prayer and Bible and surrender with other people. So what I'm doing is this. I'm asking God, God, uh, would you please help me move? Here's the prayer of this one. Move from isolation into community. God, would you please lead me into a group of people that I would consider my family? I mean, people that are just family. And I'm going to make them a priority in my life. And I'm going to open up my life to them. I'm going to be real with them. And they're going to be real with me. And I'm going to invite them to speak the truth in love into my life. And I'm going to do the same for them. And not only that, that in my community... I'm going to pick two or three people to be spiritual companions that are going to follow me in my life and just, just care for the well-being of my soul. Now, the best description 
of this community in the Bible is found in Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 42. And when you read this text, what you're going to find is a very doable, practical way of life, and anybody can do it. Yes, it's, it's kind of demanding, it's a little costly, but it's very doable, and you're going to find it's compelling, it is life-giving, it is joy-giving, and as a matter of fact, uh, you might also be interested, it's this way of life that literally changed the world. So we're going to read the text, Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to look at three things that this community requires. To have true community, true fellowship, uh, what is required. So verse 42, here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, church, there has never been a community like this thing called the church. It is an amazing sort of fellowship. It's an incredible thing. And what we're looking here is at step number four is the promise is that I will do life together. That's number step four. Number four is I will do spiritual life together. I'm just going to do it. All this life together. And what it's really kind of saying is that our lives are like these pieces of charcoal. That when, when we are together, charcoal, when it's together, it can sustain the fire. And when you and I are together, we can hold on, sustain the fire of God. But like charcoal, when we're separated, when we go apart, uh, we kind of lose the flame. The idea is that I can hold on to more of God when we are together than I can when I am on my own. You got it? Now, I'm going to start right here at the very end here to kind of, kind of walk through the requirements of, of this text. And there at the very end, in verse 46, it says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. Now, we all know that since the beginning of time, uh, fellowship has included eating together. But the fact of the matter is, according to the scriptures, is that you can eat together and really not have fellowship. Uh, you can even eat together with another Christian and it not be fellowship. Look at what it says here. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together, here it comes, with glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts. So here's what I would say with the number one requirement is fellowship requires authenticity. Glad and sincere hearts. We'll get to that word sincere here in a moment. Uh, it requires authenticity. Uh, the people in this early church, in this early community, they were so excited about the, that the good news of Jesus was filled with his love and with his grace. Uh, they took off the masks. They, they just kind of came out in the open and admitted all their temptations, their struggles, their fears, and, and everything that was going on in, in their lives. Because they were so comfortable that, that there was grace and goodness and forgiveness in this community, they just came out and said, here I am. Who, this is what, you, who, what you see is what you get. This is the real me, okay? This is me. Now, ironically, in the church today, 
uh, because we all aspire, right? We say we want to aspire to look like, act like, love like, be like Jesus. And we kind of bought into something I want to call fake fellowship. Where a lot of times people come to church and they have this little smile on their face and, and they're polite and everything. And they're pretending uh, that their stuff doesn't stink. They're pretending that they got their life together. They're pretending that their child is perfect. But it's all fake. It is not real. It, it is not true. It's fake fellowship. See, fellowship does not mean pretending. It doesn't mean pretending you're more spiritual than you really are. Uh, uh, fake fellowship does not mean that you shift over into kind of superficial surface sort of talk and kind of pretend that everything matters and not really talk about real stuff. Uh, there was a, a mother who was, had welcomed the pastor who was making visits in this little church uh, into her home. And she's sitting there having a great visit, and her young son barges into the room so excited, he doesn't even notice the pastor's in the room. And he's holding up this dead rat. And he holds up the dead rat and says, Mom, 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 I was playing in the backyard out behind the storage shed, and I saw this rat, so I threw this big old rock, and I hit it. And it just laid there. I wasn't sure it got mom, so I picked it up, and I threw it against the storage shed, and it still looked like it might be alive. And I kicked it. And then after I kicked it, God, just to be sure, I picked it up, and I threw it again against the storage shed. I threw it again. And about that time, he noticed the pastor just sitting there with his little 10-year-old talking, and he holds the rat, and he changes his tone of voice. He says, and looks at the pastor and his mom and says, and then the good Lord took him home. <laughs> That's not fellowship. A fellowship is not fake. Putting on the, the goods, making someone think you're holier than thou and better than you are. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is real. Fellowship is raw. A fellowship is hard. Fellowship is when I put myself out there. This is the real me. One of the things I love about the Bible, the Bible doesn't hold any punches about how messed up the disciples were. It doesn't make them out to be something more, more than what they weren't. Uh, the scripture makes it clear that Zacchaeus, uh, he was a cheat. Uh, that James and John, they self-promoted themselves to Jesus, even had their mother do it part. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. He betrayed him. Peter denied him. Thomas doubted him. And the apostle Paul, who when he was Saul, he persecuted Christians who were following Jesus. And Jesus himself, he was famous. He, he was notorious for hanging out with sinners, for hanging out with people who were just raw. And I think that's why he hung out with them, because they had the audacity to be real and say, this is the real me. This is who I am. In the early church, right over here, just a page over in, in Acts chapter 5, uh, when the church is just getting going, there was this young couple. The scripture calls him Ananias and Sapphira. And, and they started pretending uh, that they were more generous than they really were. And the scripture says both of them dropped dead because they were pretending right there in everybody's midst. And what was God saying? He's saying uh, pretending is not okay because pretense will always kill the church. It will destroy it. You see, on a human level, uh, you and I tend to think that, that being real is dangerous and pretending is safe. But with God, with addiction, with sin, at a spiritual level, getting real is safe. 
and pretending is dangerous even though it feels good. Pretending is the most dangerous thing you can do even though it feels good where being real is hurtful even when you challenge it. We are called, this thing of fellowship, uh, it is real, it is raw, it is hard, it is painful, it is messy. But when you do it, something powerful occurs. You see, we have fallen this idea, kind of the irony here, is that when we talk about intimacy uh, with our spouse, uh, we, we think, oh, I got to go behind closed doors. We got to do it in the darkness. But in the scripture, intimacy is not what happened in the darkness, in the hiding. It's what happened when you came out into the light. A friend of Jesus over in 1 John uh, chapter 1, he puts it like this. But if we walk in the light, I'm at verse 7, 1 John 1. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have, here comes the word, fellowship. There's that word, kononia. We, if we walk in the light as his in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, if we're pretending, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Here's what that means. That means I can come out of hiding. I can drop my mask. I can come out of my darkness into the light because God loves me and he has forgiven me. And you too, all of us who are misfits and drunks and addicts and mess ups and losers and failures and every aspect of my life, that means you can come out into the light in authentic and genuine community. So fellowship requires authenticity. Secondly, fellowship requires commitment, requires commitment. I'm back over here in Acts chapter 2, and at verse 42, the very first line, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the teaching was of the good news of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you and I are refilling our mind with the thoughts of this word, we are transforming our mind with the teachings about the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. But the next part is, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, the fellowship. So the rest of this passage right here is showing how they have devoted themselves to these practices devoted of being together and of praying together, worshiping together, confessing, generosity, giving with one another in that community. Now, now this right here is a key uh, to step number four. This is a key. And this is a countercultural idea. This goes totally against everything in our culture, and it was back there also. Look right there at verse 46. I want you to see what it says. It says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Underline your Bible every day, every day. Now, i got to ask you a question. Do you think they always felt like gathering every day? Do you think like that it was very easy to come up with some excuses for meeting together every day? I mean, after all, they're meeting in a Jewish temple. It wasn't even a Christmas atmosphere. They didn't even have the right kind of quote-unquote music. Go, man, I'm not going there. They don't have the right kind of music. I'm just going to stay home. I'm not going. Hey, they had, they had all sorts of reasons to not feel like going, but they went every single 
day. I mean, this is counterculture, church. This is, this is counterculture even in our day. You know, imagine going back in time, and you go back into our home uh, when Dallas and I had three sons, and they were ten, the oldest one was 10 or 11, and then you got the two ones, you know, two and three. And Dallas was to call me and say, hey, hon, uh, when are you coming home for dinner? And I would say, well, I'll come home when I feel like it. <laughs> I'll come home when it's convenient. Uh, I'll come home when, you know, you know, I'll come home maybe, you know, after what, maybe, I'll, I'll let you, maybe I'll come home. Or, or maybe I'll go, you know what, babe? I mean, those kids, uh, they can be so loud. Uh, they can be so messy. They can spill stuff, create all this stress and tension and everything. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm coming. I'll get back to you. How do you think that would have flown? That wouldn't have flown at all. Hey, listen, table fellowship in the evening, it was not optional in my family. It's just, you're just there. Uh, let's say that you had a, uh, a new job. You signed a contract, and you signed the contract, and they say, uh, we're ready for you to start. Be here tomorrow. And you go, ah, you know, I really don't feel like I want to start the job tomorrow. What about the next day? Well, I don't know. Hey, I'll let you know when I feel like coming. Uh, you, you, you can't do that, you know, unless you're some famous uh, wide receiver in the NFL, right? Uh, but other than that, you got to be there. Now, here, here's what I know. If I don't devote myself to the fellowship, devote myself, I lose the freedom of being known and really being loved. And if I devote myself to the fellowship, I no longer can do just what I want to do because I'm devoted to being there when the fellowship gathers. And here's what I know about you. If you don't devote yourself to the fellowship, you are giving up the freedom to be known, to be loved, to be healed, to be forgiven, to experience God's wholeness in this aspect of community. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They were really on in. And I want you to know, people really did this. They really did this. They put everything aside and reoriented, rearranged their life to be there in this experience. And they did this not because some, somebody guilted them. They did it not because God said, you have to do it. They didn't do it because someone was badgering them, calling them, hey, tell, are you coming, are you coming, are you coming, are you coming, are you coming? They did it because they knew that in this fellowship, they would experience healing and wholeness and true community, and they were a part of something that God was doing to change the world. It was something they did willingly. See, here's what I know. When you and I engage in this thing called fellowship, God begins to work, and God begins to speak in your life in ways that doesn't happen when you isolate yourself all alone. But you got to be devoted to it, and then God's going to speak to you. you. Some of you remember that we started off this year with our, what we call our Stronger Message Series. And in one of those, we're talking getting stronger in message in one of the series. And I made this statement uh, in that series that sexual intimacy is reserved for people in marriage. So after worship, a guy stopped me out on the crossing. This young, young guy said, oh, Pastor, man, I almost didn't come today. I almost didn't come, and I'm so glad that I came. I said, well, why? 
said, well, I got this new girlfriend. We've been dating. Man, she's beautiful. I mean, she's really attractive. And, man, I'm attracted to her. And she's attracted to me. And we've been on a trajectory where we're going to violate God's plan. I know it's going to happen. So thank you for reminding me. I mean, just think if he hadn't have been there. And not only that, we're going to talk about accountability next week. But he went and found somebody in worship there in the grove. Another young man that was in worship said, listen, he told him what he told me and asked him to hold him accountable to make sure he's fulfilling God's plan in this particular area of his life because he knew he was weak. Now, let me ask you this. If I would have walked around Burleson, Texas with a, with a megaphone in hand one weekend and go, hey, listen, don't have, se- girl, don't have sex with your boyfriend. Don't have sex with your girlfriend. You got to wait to have sex until you got married. Do you think anybody would have come up and thanked me for telling them that? <laughs> Heck no. And be, ah, wah, wah, wah. But see, in the community, God speaks when we come together. And this young man surrendered his will, surrendered his plan to God's plan, and now he's walking off with a clean heart and a sense of security that this marriage between this young couple, when it gets started, is going to be according to God's plan. Church, I just promise you that when you devote yourself to the fellow, devote yourself, get committed to it, uh, God speaks and God does transformation in your life. Uh, thirdly is fellowship requires sharing. Sharing. Now, now, sharing is a key word in this whole fellowship concept. It is very, very important. And that word koinia sometimes was used to describe a financial gift that was given by someone in the fellowship to someone that is in need. In the time of the early church, uh, poverty was rampant. Uh, there were slaves and people that were just thrown in jail and prison for, for no, for almost, you think, for no reason. Their family left destitute, and starvation was very, very common. So I'm going to give you three levels here uh, of kind of sharing that was so common here in this early fellowship. And fellowship requires sharing, first of all, of resources, of resources. Out of nowhere in this community, where there was so much starvation and there was so much poverty, you cannot imagine the poverty and the starvation. There arose a little community where people who were wealthy and people who were on the other end that were poor came together around a table and they sat down and they had a meal together and everybody was equal. They were all on the same footing. There was no separator division according to status, according to wealth. They were just all there together in the same place. And I want you to please understand that nothing like this had ever existed before in the history of the world, where people who had wealth, people who had homes, people who had a food, opened it up to people who did not have a home, who did not have wealth, who did not have a food, and they came together in an equal place and did life together. And the people who had shared with those who did not, and there was no animosity, there was no sarcasm, there was no blah, blah, blah. They were just together, and there was a sharing. Now, let me ask you, do you think, Do you think back then there was anybody who came into the church because they heard about it just to get the free food, just to take advantage of the situation? Probably. Probably, yes. But the generosity didn't stop flowing. They just continued to flow in their generosity. And so the question a lot of times that, that people think, but they never ask, is this. What if I give money to someone? What if I give and they waste it? Uh, Let me ask you. 
Have you ever wasted anything that God has given you? Have you ever wasted money? Has God ever stopped being generous with you? No. No. They they were just flowing with generosity of sharing of their lives with the people. And that's part of the problem we have in America. We're all just all about us. You see, we think it's about me, me, me. We isolate ourselves and we think life is the goal of me getting more, 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 more. Like I'm going to live forever. And we have this idea of the the mortality tables. We know how long we're going to live, right? No. They understood something. The goal is not for me, this collecting, collecting. It's to be a blessing to others. Uh, I was having a visit with a couple in my office who wanted to give a generous gift to the church to the, to the Now One More campaign, uh, to the building of this new worship space. And if you've not seen it, here's a couple of pictures right here. I mean, it's happening. I mean, God has been good. You've been so generous and faithful. I just want to encourage you, if you made those commitments to, you know, start participating in the sharing of those and to see what God does and the blessing of those that are outside the faith community and all over the world, what God is going to do here. Uh, but this couple, uh, they made this real generous offer sacrifice, and they, they wanted to do some more. They were talking about more. And what I learned is that their kids uh, was given their, their financial advisor kind of criticized them about this. And what they learned was that the, their financial advisor had had a phone call from their children who would just kind of, well, I can't believe you're letting them do that, letting them do that, letting them do that, kind of berating them for wanting to be so generous and giving more to their church, to the community for the kingdom of God. Now, church, I, I just want to say this about this. Every single one of us, we're going to die. And somebody's going to get what we have. And then they're going to die, and somebody's going to get what they have, and so forth and so on and so on. And when you and I, when you and I go into eternity, we take with us our heart. And you can either take with you a stingy heart, or you can take with you a generous heart, and know that God has used you in the blessing of people in so many places all over the world. So I just want to encourage you. Because, see, I think the true joy that that early Christian church having is that they realized they weren't owners, they were stewards. It wasn't about them owning it. It was about they were stewards of it, and they wanted to share it. And I think the joy that the reason the outside community loved the church so much is they were just so generous and how they opened up their building, how they opened up their facilities, how they opened up their lives and their income to be a blessing to so many people. So sharing of resources, fellowship requires. Second one is sharing the truth in love. Uh, fact of the matter is that's how we grow in fellowship. That's a little secret. Uh, you're, you're not going to grow in fellowship unless someone is speaking the truth in love together. Now, what is interesting here, I think in the, today's church, is that we suffer, I want to call, from a spiritual nicety, spiritual niceness. It's almost like a cancer, just being so nice. That means you just think, you just always got to be so nice and all polite and everything kind of up here. And if anybody brings up something that's controversial or, or something's hard or, or we bring up something from the pulpit, from this teaching time that's kind of a touchy, rolling on, people, oh, no, no, no. And they want to cover it up and kind of get back to surface level talk and make everything nice where there's no tension and no difficult context. But church, Jesus ruffled feathers. Jesus spoke the truth in love. 
And I think sometimes people look at this Acts chapter 2 thing, and they see this scripture right here. We just read it. Oh, they were just so nice and sweet and loving. No, that is not the case. They had constructive conflict all the time. They fought. Uh, they fought over which widows to give the most food. Uh, they fought over the Gentiles, what to do about the Gentiles. They fought over the rules, which rules to keep, which rules not to keep. There was a guy named Salmon Magnus. Uh, who got jealous of these guys having the Holy Spirit. He tried to buy the Holy Spirit, and Peter gave him what for and said, you can't do that. And then Paul gave Peter what for, okay, gave Peter what for, so being so legalistic. Uh, they fought with each other. Uh, they fought with the government. They fought with scammers. Hey, this little church here wasn't Paradise Island, a sweet little nice little people just always, you know, just always, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they spoke the truth in love. And I will tell you, in some of your relationships, some of your marriages, some of your small groups, uh, you're just pretending. You're just playing on the surface. And you don't understand what they understood. The secret weapon of true intimacy is you deal with conflict and you talk about it and you speak the truth in love. Okay, so we got to share that. Here's the final one I'm going to share. Uh, fellowship requires the sharing of suffering. Uh, this was a secret sauce, I don't mind telling you. Uh, this sharing of suffering does something, a power that, that I can't understand. Uh, in worship right now, uh, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday morning or wherever you are, if I would ask everybody to stand who's suffering because you're a Cowboy fan, <laughs> you would stand and look at each other, and you would have a little bit of affinity for each other in that shared suffering. But if I was to ask everybody to stand who has uh, uh, had cancer, survived cancer, you've overcome cancer, you would stand and look at each other, and you would have community, koinia, because there's an understanding because you're suffering. And if I was to go another step or higher, and if I was to ask everyone to stand in the house or online or type in me who've lost a son or a daughter to death, you would look at each other, and that shared suffering would create a koinia that would bind the two of you together. There's something that happens when we share in our suffering together. We're going to put up on the screen a statement from Alcoholics Anonymous from the big book that I think that kind of helps us understand this concept. Here's what they say about AA. We are a people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship, a koinia, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. Why? Why is, why, what was that fellowship? This, because they all had this experience of, of being saved from something, alcohol in this case, that was going to destroy them. And in the church, that's the church. They took that from the church. They didn't the church. There's a mix of people who normally wouldn't fit together. But we had this common understanding of suffering, of the salvation of our sin from, from, from our own stupidity, from our own ignorance. So that means that people who are, are Jew and Greek, enslaved or free, male and female, uh, young and old, uh, boomer and Gen Xer and millennial and whomever, uh, black, brown, uh, Asian, white, Republican, Democrat, all over can come together in this place and be unified because we all know at the core of our being the suffering of our sin and the saving grace of Jesus Christ just creates a fellowship uh, that we all understand. Now, uh, God, here we are, the very last thing in your notes is my next step will be. God is going to lead you to your next step. I don't need to tell you what it is, but I, I want to remind you that what the impact you get out of this series is what you do 
in between the messages, in between worship. It is what you do in the practicing of these steps. So now as we think about this step right here, I wonder what might God be asking you to do as your next step. Maybe it's time for you actually go to Pathfinders and say, I want to join the church and become a part of this community, become a part of the, a member of this fellowship. Uh, maybe you're ready to be baptized. You're going to go to the Welcome Center and let them know, I, I'm ready to be baptized, become a part of the community, of the fellowship. Uh, maybe you really do want to get into a small group of some kind. Uh, I mean, go on and on. You, you make the decision. What, God, God, please show me uh, your will for me, the next right thing for me to do, and give me the power to do it. But I want, here's the ask I have for everyone I want you to write down. This is something I want you to write down there for everyone to do. Uh, it's simple, and everyone can do it. I want everyone here to find them one person to be their prayer partner. Here it is. Prayer partner, next step, through the end of the series. Prayer partner. I want you to go and ask one person that's going to pray with you as we walk through the rest of this series. And the prayer you're going to say is, hey, God, uh, give blank, give fill in the blank, the knowledge of your will for their life and give them the power to do it. Now, you may, may have never prayed with anybody before. And right now you're thinking, well, I don't even know how to pray. I, I, I would mess up if I, if I tried to pray. There's no, there's no way I could do that. Uh, I was visiting with a couple in my office who was in their second marriage, and they were really at conflict. They were really at odds together. And she was kind of unchurched, and he was barely kind of churched. And she was just really upset with his ex-wife who had just kind of been just a, a heathen and kind of running around on, on husband and, and messing with the kids and beating up on her and berating her, always causing this conflict. So we're in there talking about it, and we finally got to a point, hey, can we pray about this together? And they'd never prayed before. And they said, yeah, let's do it. And so the woman prayed, and so this is her very first prayer. Listen, hey, here it is. God, I want you to kill that hussy. <laughs> can you imagine that? That was the very first prayer. God, kill that hussy. He goes, no, 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 God, don't kill her. It's the mother of my kids. Uh, heal her, redeem her, God. Make her, make her better. Help her get well. She said, no, 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 God, kill her. I mean, she's got to pay. Make her pay for beating me up and doing all these things. And that was her prayer. Now, eventually, over time, we met together two or three more times. She kind of softened on that. She surrendered her will and got to pray in another way. But here's the point I'm trying to say. Just pray. Wherever you are, pray. It's okay. It may not be perfect. If it's your first time, it may be the most powerful thing. Your next step is actually to pray for another person, okay, to actually do that. And I want you to have that experience. So I want you to find someone to do that with. It can be your spouse. It can be who you're dating. It might be someone in your small group, someone in the room here. Before you leave here, look across someone sitting behind you in front of you. Go, listen, would you be my prayer partner? And then just stop right there and pray. And you can say, God, give, give their name, give them the knowledge of their will for them, and then give them the power to do it. Church, I, I want everybody to have this experience. The experience of blessing, of praying for another person in community, and the knowledge that somebody else is praying for you. There's nothing like praying, knowing in your community there's somebody praying for you. And I promise you this, that if you get involved in fellowship, you take a step, you get involved in community, uh, get out of isolation and live within the body, uh, you'll experience a meaning to your life like you've never known before. Uh, you will know a joy. Uh, you will know a freedom. Uh, you will know life. You will experience the, the thrill and the generosity of giving of yourself to someone else, speaking the truth in love and really growing together. And when you get to the end of your life, uh, you're not going to be haunted by saying, did my, ha my life have meaning? Oh, it will have had meaning. 
because you will have been in somebody else's life and they will have been in yours. Love in. And here's my ask before you leave. Don't you leave this building. Don't you check off online or leave True Worth without letting somebody know that you love them, that you care for them. Just give and receive love before you're out of here. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift of your son Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, for your love. And God, we pray with everything in our being that you would lead each of us into fellowship with you and with one another. An intimacy, God, where we can truly grow and be healed and become whole and know how to love and to be loved freely in meaningful relationship. And God, strengthen us as a church to be the church as you described in your word so we can bless those one more and one more and one more and one more till you're million and one, ha, God, million and one, God, come to know of your saving love and grace. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. See you next weekend. Bye.